Hold us, if you will, and uh, let's once again return to the book of Joshua, chapter 24. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1, and we'll read through verse 15. You follow in that which we consider to be the inerrant, infallible, inspired, the very mind of God is black words on a white page. Here we go. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel. And they presented themselves before God, and Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor. And they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan, and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. And I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it, and afterward I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued your fathers and chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And when they cried to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and made the sea come upon them and cover them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. And you lived in the wilderness a long time. Then I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you and I gave them into your, uh, into your hand and you took possession of their land and I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel, and he sent and invited Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Indeed, he blessed you, so I delivered you out of his hand. And you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho. And the leaders of Jericho fought against you, and also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And I gave them into your hand. And I sent the hornet before you, before which drove them out before you, the two kings of the Amorites. It was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities that you had not built, and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of the vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. Now, therefore... Fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it endures forever. I, I must confess to you, as we begin, that I am really abusing this text, uh, Joshua 24, verse 15. It's really not about, it's really not a text about Mother's Day. But it does include that statement right at the end that, that, that in my mind 
conjures up this vision of the family that is so beautiful. It's stirring. Is it not? It's, it's a picture of a, a family that's, that's united. A, a picture of family unity. A picture of a, a family that's devoted. A, a, a picture of a family that is single-minded. Don't we all want that? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That statement, of course, um, comes right at the end of a, a, a speech that Joshua has given to Israel um, as somewhat of a, a survey of um, their their history. It's a brief survey. Um, he goes, he lists several key events in the history of Israel. And then he closes with this challenge, this call, clarion call. And then he goes and dies. <laughs> I mean, if you'll notice, uh, after this, the next event that's mentioned in this chapter is Joshua's death and burial. He, he, um, he has, he calls all, all Israel together. He has this little review of history. And then he includes this punchline about, you need, you need to figure out who you're going to serve. You know, if you want to ch- serve the gods of the Amorites, you go do that. But, um, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to serve Yahweh. Um, he is calling the families of Israel to unite their families around service to Yahweh. Do you see it, guys? That's, that's, that's all that he's saying in that little stirring statement. As for Nehemiah, we will serve the Lord. He is, he is sending out this challenge to the families of Israel. To unite their families around service to Yahweh. And so this morning, um, I, I'm simply taking my cue from Joshua. I want to do the same thing Joshua's doing. I want to talk to you about the Christian family. And I, I want to um, call you to unite your family. Around service to Yahweh. I really only have one point this morning. You know, that you're, I guess you'll have to dock my pay. You're supposed to have three points, but I only have one. And, you know, we could talk about this subject for a long time, could we not? Um, it, it, we could talk, we could come at it at, 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 at hundreds of different angles uh, about the family. But, but I only have one thing that I want to try to communicate this morning. Only one thing. And that is the unifying principle of the Christian family. I want to talk to you about the unifying family, a unifying principle of the Christian family. And, and I, and I say to you guys, it's not an invitation. It's not an option. It is the, it is the single only unifying principle of the Christian family. So let's talk about that this morning. What do you say? Hey, um, have you ever been to one of my weddings? Ever been to a wedding that I've done? 
You know, some people, some people like my weddings. Some people don't like my weddings. And, and the people who don't like my weddings don't like them because I say some things in my weddings that, um, that can be fairly pointed. Uh, some people would call them offensive. Now, guys, I, I don't intend to be inf- offensive. I don't enjoy being offensive. I know you'll find that <laughs> shocking. Um, I, I don't. I don't want to be offensive. But to some, some of the things that I say in my wedding ceremonies are taken as offensive. Can I give you an example? I'm just one of them. <laughs> there are more, but. Um, Here's one of the things that I say in my in my wedding ceremonies, and, and this is pretty much a quote. I, I say, the goal of your marriage is not your own happiness. I say that. I, 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 I believe it then, I believe it now, that the goal of your marriage is not your own happiness. Now, now that's a bummer, isn't it? I mean, um, doesn't everybody get married to... to Thinking that they're going to be, that's going to make them happy? I mean, what's the, what's, what's the matter with being happy? You know, back in my teenage years, which was quite a while ago, but, uh, the Beach Boys, um, you remember the Beach Boys? The, the Beach Boys, in fact, I just heard this song, I don't know what radio station I heard it, but I heard it recently. The Beach Boys used to sing a song that, that went something like this. Wouldn't it be nice if we could wake up in the morning when the day is, you remember that song? There's a line in that song that said, that says this. We could be married and then we'd be happy. There it is. That's the notion, ladies and gentlemen. I get married and I get happy. That's it. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if you've been married for any length of time at all, you know how utterly naive is such a notion. Um, you know, but I guess you're simply not supposed to point that out at a wedding. And, and that's, that's the offense. And, and then, guys, I go on to make it worse by saying that marriage, like every other creation of God, exists for God's glory. Marriage is a means to an end. And, and most of us, maybe not most of us, a lot of us, maybe a few of us, but some of us, I think have unfortunately misdefined the end. If marriage is a means to an end, what is the end? And if we've misdefined the end, ladies and gentlemen, we are off track seriously. Or perhaps someone never told you what the end is supposed to be or it's supposed to look like. You see, guys, all all I'm saying is that the unifying principle in the Christian home, in Christian marriage, is two people who agree 
that the primary goal is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And their marriage, their family, is just one of the vehicles, a, a very significant vehicle, but just one of the vehicles by which that might be done. That is, that God be glorified. That their marriage is is to be one of other vehicles, but a very significant vehicle by which God might be glorified. Now, guys, do you, do you see how radical that is? Uh, instead of designing our homes so that we will be happy as husband and wife, or even worse, designing our homes so that our kids might be happy, We design our homes, and if I can use this word about God, uh, uh, we design our homes so that God can be happy or glorified or pleased. Just recently, guys, I was on the phone with a, a mother, and we were talking about something, and the details aren't important, but I'm, I'm going to... I'm going to quote you something that she said to me, and I'm pretty sure this is an exact quote. At least half of it is an exact quote. She said to me, she said, well, my baby wasn't happy. And so we had to make a change. She was referring to her son, not her husband. <laughs> my baby's not happy. So we're going to have to make a change. Now, tell me, ladies and gentlemen, um, just as you just weigh that one little sentence, um, what do you think the goal of that home is? Um, guys, is that the way that homes are supposed to work? Tell me, who is it that normally gets the leftovers in our in our home life? Who is it that usually gets short shrift? I mean, we certainly no, we can't be late for the play practice, and we certainly we we certainly can't skip soccer practice. But that discipleship thing, well, that's just going to have to go. It's going to go. You know, guys, we we've almost come to the place. Maybe we're already there that coaches. Coaches of little athletic teams dictate to us, to our families, what our schedule is going to be. Ouch. Um, the proof of a Christian marriage is the willingness of two parties to sacrifice the marriage for the sake of the kingdom. Now that's offensive. But I didn't say that. Donald Blesh said that. And if he's correct, can I read it to you again? The proof of a Christian marriage is the willingness of two parties to sacrifice the marriage for the sake of the kingdom. If he's right, ladies and gentlemen, Then how many Christian marriages do you know of? 
Ladies and gentlemen, I submit to you that we have a new idol in the church where we are worshiping at the shrine of the family. And if the dominant value of our lives is our family, then our family is in a place that it was never intended to be. Guys, if self-fulfillment is the dominant reason for my family, then I will never enjoy a Christian family. We exist for him as a single or as a, as a couple. And any time that I plug the umbilical cord of my life into something other than God, I will never be satisfied. You guys, I, I want to pause just long enough to insert this. You may not believe me, and you may um, you, you may misread my motives, but I'm I'm telling you to the degree that I know my own motives, and they are never pure, <laughs> never 100 percent pure. But to the degree that I know my own motives, the thing that drives me to say these things this morning is because I see how unsatisfied. You are. We are. And it's because we have plugged the umbilical cord of our lives into the wrong source. And we end up with a dry taste in our souls. The kingdom of God is never to be subservient to our families. Guys, listen. It was never intended that the family be the dominant value of my life. It's important and we all love it, but it, it, the kingdom was never, the kingdom of God was never intended to be subservient to our families. The other way around. But tell me, do this. Take a look at your schedule last week and then take a look at your schedule for the upcoming week um, and tell me this which is getting the short end of the stick your family or the kingdom just examine your schedule from last week and the one that you've got planned for this week which is getting the short end of the stick Guys, I can tell you that no family member will ever be hurt, will ever be damaged if you are living according to standards that God has set. We're afraid that, I guess, our, ch our children are going to be damaged if we don't do X, Y, and Z. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is to mean that God has designed something that was going to hurt us. I, I say on the contrary. On the contrary, our families are suffering 
big time because we have chosen to rearrange the priority. We have redesigned our families around a wrong unifying principle. Can I, can I tell you one of the scenarios that we hear about that is played out here at Grace Evan over and over and over again? Can I just tell you about it? A family makes a decision to get junior um, early on in some kind of competitive sport or some other time-consuming activity. And about the fifth or sixth or seventh grade or so, somewhere in there, puberty hits. And then the sparks begin to fly. Um, sparks in the home, uh, sparks uh, at school, sparks in the marriage, family turbulence. And then either one or both of the parents realize, oh, no, um, we got to get back in church. And so they, so they bring Junior over here and they, they insert him into our middle school ministry. Only to discover that Junior hates it and doesn't ever want to come back. And the reason that he gives is, I don't know anybody in there. None of my friends are in there. And, and of course, that's true. Because while Junior was 8 and 9 and 10 and 11 and 12, he was booked. He was elsewhere. He was in other places. And so now he arrives into a group of people who are, to him, pretty much strangers. Gang, I cannot overstate how often this subject comes up among our staff. We meet weekly, and it come, every time we're together, this is coming up. And, and I think it comes up because we as a staff, we want to help. But so often we can't. We can't because the damage has already been done. And it was done five years ago when we built our families around the wrong unifying principle of the home. Guys, a healthy Christian family, just like a healthy Christian church, has been designed to exist for a goal that's outside itself. Family is a means to a far greater end. The dignity of the family is grounded in the fact that it is the creation of God, as you find in Genesis 2.24. And like all other creations of God, it exists for God's glory and not for our happiness. Listen, happiness is the natural byproduct of pursuing righteousness in the kingdom of God. 
which is exactly what we just sung about 15 minutes ago. Right out of Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, that says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things, including family happiness, will be added unto you. Ladies and gentlemen, that's exactly what I say in my weddings. And then I throw in this quote from C.S. Lewis, where C.S. Lewis says, Seek heaven, and you get earth thrown in. Seek earth. And it all disappears. Can I say this again? Anytime we plug our umbilical cords, the, the umbilical cord of my life, into anything but God... We will never be satisfied because you are living according, you are not living according to design. And I say to you, my brother and sister in Christ, in my opinion, that is why we are seeing so much family pain. You, you, you walk into a Christian bookstore today and you will find a glut of information about family issues, about books. You can buy books and videos and CDs. You, you, they'll announce seminars and conferences and retreats and churches all over the city are inviting John Rosemont and everybody else to come in to speak about family, family, family. And you would think with that much information available to the Christian family, that the Christian family would be in great shape. Such is sadly not the case. And I say, ladies and gentlemen, that very honestly, that all the family counseling in the world is not going to help you much. Until we fix the, the design flaw. It's like trying to drive a car with a bent frame. Oh, oh, it'll run for a while. It'll, it'll, it'll drive for a while. But it is headed to a breakdown. Because of a design flaw. What I think we see, ladies and gentlemen, is that we have a misfire in direction. A misfire in, in goal or design or purpose. The, the family's purpose is not sociological. It's doxological. You know that word, doxological? It comes from a Greek word, doxa, which means glory. Our families are not designed to be sociological. They're designed to be doxological. They're designed, they exist for God's glory. The family is to be a little church that exists for God's glory. Where, where dad is the pastor and the gospel is the atmosphere in which your children are, are, grow up. But instead, we teach our daughters that the most important thing in their lives is to find a man. And we teach our sons 
that the most important thing in their lives is to find a career. A good paying career. And the design flaw gets passed down to the next generation. Oh, Jimmy, you know, why do you want to rain on our parade on Mother's Day? Guys, if you'll, if you'll just cut me this much slack, I'm not sure I deserve it, but I'll tell you why. Because family pain is something that I and every member of our staff hears over and over and over and over again. I would be less I would be less than loving towards you if I didn't say these things. I'm offering you a way to get off this treadmill. I'm offering you hope. I'm offering you a, the, the hope of a breakthrough. And, and for you families out there that are perfectly happy, please forgive my intrusion. But I don't think there's any of you out there. Not a one. For the rest of us, if we are ever to enjoy a Christian family, the first step will be a corrective to the design flaw. And once that's done, then it's going to show up in scores of other smaller decisions. And one of the bigger of those smaller decisions is the schedule that you keep. You know, guys, um, if you want to know a person's value system, you know, I've said this a lot, um, maybe not from the pulpit, but I've said it in smaller groups. If you want to know what your values are, then all you got to do is take out your checkbook and look at your reg- your, your uh, little register at the top. Just take out your checkbook and, and look at what's up there, and it'll tell you what your values are. If you want to find out the organizing principle of your family, your home, Just look at your schedule. There it is. Let me close like this. Um, If you're here without a relationship with Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, none of this is going to make any sense to you. None of this is going to be even applicable to you. um, Not that I intend that, but... Um, it's not going to be applicable until you have embraced Jesus Christ as your own Savior and Lord. And, and I say to you, my dear friend, I'm glad you're here. Keep coming. Keep asking. But here's a place to start for you.
start with an embrace of the finished work of Jesus Christ for your sin. And then once that's done, then for heaven's sakes, let's all go fix our families. What do you say? And I'm saying that the way to fix them, at least the beginning, is to organize them around the right unifying principle. And here it is. As for me and my house, we will serve. Our Father, um, we, we have all as parents and as spouses made scores of choices that do not reflect Matthew 6.33 in our lives or in our homes. And um, we have uh, paid a price for that. And we... Um, we all sense a lack of satisfaction. And so would you forgive us? And would you enable us to um, correct that? By the power and the might of the Holy Spirit, would you enable us to correct it such that that our schedules are sacrificed to the greater good of the kingdom? That uh, our happiness is set aside as we pursue righteousness. Knowing that you've made us a promise, that all these things will be added unto us, and you've never broken a promise to us yet. So the faithful one is you, O God, and the unfaithful ones are, are us. We're the ones. Would you um, have mercy and allow us to uh, take the, um, the very courageous steps of adjusting things so that we can, with Joshua, say, this home is united around the principle of service to Yahweh. We make our prayer, of course, in Jesus' name.